The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Today is Wednesday, and welcome back. To the Finn Cider Radio. The Finn Cider Radio. Yes, I'm pulling that one off today. Uh, we, before we jump into everything, which today we're going to be going into the highs and lows of what is happening uh, with Miami's draft class in terms of expectations and what really defines a fun or strong season for these players to really get excited about the future. Um, and we also have a former member of Finn Cider Radio, even though we refuse to not call him. Uh, current member because we don't have the heart to fire him, but, but we'll get in touch with Aaron Sutton in just a minute. But we just want to let you guys know we decided to take last week off uh, just as there were bigger things happening in the world, and obviously we could use our platform for good, but we just wanted to take a step back and more importantly learn and listen and how you know Josh and I can use our platform, can help understand and make this country a better place for everybody involved, have everyone feel safe wherever they are going from you know just going to work, going to wherever it may be, that comfort of knowing I'm safe, I'm in a country where I can be protected, and everyone has my back. So that is why we took last week off. We will plug in, I believe Josh is going to do, a, uh, he has Brian Flores' incredibly strong quote, but now let's chat about some football, and we actually got this comment last week about this is something we should do, and we decided it'd be some great content, and because Josh and I are the smartest guys, we decided to bring in the one, the only Aaron Sutton in order to talk about Miami Dolphins 2020 draft cl- class. Aaron? How you doing today, buddy? I'm doing well, guys. I got two kids at two different grandparents' house right now, so I only have two left over, so it's making life a little bit easier on the home <laughs> front. And, uh, you know, really excited to have a show with Jake here today. Houts, I guess I'll just kind of have to tolerate for about 45 minutes, but... Yeah, we did that long enough. Uh, I'm <laughs> glad to have you back. It's uh, I missed you, and I'm excited for the things that you're doing over there at Pro Football Network, you and Kanata. But I'm glad to have you on, and you know, anytime you want to come on here and talk Dolphins football, we'll be here. 
Absolutely. And I'm going to be covering some more Dolphin stuff over at Pro Football Network. So we're going to have a lot more Dolphin stuff to talk about these days. And, you know, that, that that's the thing. Things are slowly starting to come together in terms of a season and, and training camps. I, I saw that the Josh, I think you wrote a story about this, uh, the the online camps. I don't know what the direct word for that is, but those were extended to June 26th where where the what, virtual mini camps, I guess they were. Yeah, I think they're pushing it back a little bit. And I also wrote an article about how the Miami Dolphins, you know, they're bringing in, they have the opportunity to bring in some of these guys, the veterans that they just signed, some of the rookies might be able to come in there and get looked at by the medical staff. So there's a good chance that over half this Dolphins roster could could report, you know, sooner than the rest of the NFL. So, uh, you know, like you said, times are slowly starting to change, and we might – it seems like we're going to have football sooner than later, but uh, it'll take a while to see if that's confirmed. Yeah, and, you know, I thought this was a good topic, and I want to kind of hone it in a little bit more, and, and not just the sense of what's the, the ceiling and the floor for each player, but, but specifically I kind of want to chat about – for the 2020 season. And I know, you know, things are going to be really unique with, with everything that's kind of happened uh, lately and teams not being able to get together and whatnot. So when, when we talk, we got to start with Tua Tagovailoa because, you know, it's a Josh House podcast. I mean, <laughs> that's what that's what they do. So when we kind of look at him, I, I think to kind of put into perspective, obviously these players didn't enter the league with the same amount of hype, but when you look at what Ryan Tannehill did in his rookie season 2012, uh, we were excited that he threw 12 touchdowns and threw 13 interceptions. <laughs> but it, it, important too, that there's some context there when you look at his receivers, who's running backs, where even though I will never disrespect Reggie Bush, who who is going to go down as one of the more underrated players uh, in, in the history of the Miami Dolphins. But w- when we kind of look at what we expect from him, uh, Aaron, we'll start with you. Give me some numbers of what what you'd like to see out of Tua his his rookie year because I know we're, I I can't see a, a world where he's really going to be you know top three in touchdowns or yards or anything like that. And when you see we were excited about just twelve touchdowns from Ryan Tannehill in sixteen games, what would you say your expectations are for Tua? Say he starts you know twelve games or so, three quarters of the season. Yeah, I think that's a million dollar question. How many games is he going to be the starting quarterback for the Dolphins? You know, if we assume that he has 12 games there, I'm not going to approach this from a box score standpoint. I'm going to approach this like what I would like to see in the film after his rookie season. And I think we would agree that with Ryan Tannehill, one of the early and immediate lingering concerns for him was pocket presence. And I think that's one of the elite traits that Tua has. So I'm curious how he is going to adapt the just the speed of the game from college to pros and if he's going to be able to adjust his decision making to kind of accommodate this new speed that he's that he's looking at so you know is is he moving around in the pocket well enough to overcome some of the deficiencies that we might have in the offensive line right now and i know we'll get to Austin Jackson here in a minute, but just the group as a whole, we're going to have some moving pieces and we want to make sure that our franchise quarterback that we just drafted, who does have some injury history, we need to make sure we need to be pretty confident that we can put him in a situation where he's going to succeed. So what's success going to look like? He's going to move around in the pocket. I want him to get the ball out of his hands quickly, which I think Chan Gailey's offense is designed to do. And I just want to see that accuracy translate from the, from the college game. I think we would all agree that he's a, just an astoundingly accurate quarterback. Maybe could work a little bit on his deep throws a little bit, but the short and intermediate throws are there. So is he going to be able to trust his arm in the NFL and force it into to smaller windows, which I, I think he will, or you know, does the the smaller windows make his processing speed slow down and then take away from some of his elite traits? So that's going to be the million-dollar question for me. How quickly is he going through progressions, and how is he maintaining pocket presence? Yeah, and Sutton touched on a little bit there, but the biggest thing is can he stay healthy, and I think that's what it all comes back to. The Dolphins are only as good as a healthy Tua Tungavailoa. You know, he's the future of the Miami Dolphins franchise. No one can sit here and argue that, but how is he going to hold up if he plays 12 games? How is he going to do when, you know, he takes those NFL hits because we saw in college, there were times when he was banged up. So you want to see him be able to go out there, take an NFL hit, but most importantly, like Sutton said, just grasp the NFL game, grasp the speed of it, 
grasp that offense, which is very similar to what he ran in Alabama. Uh, you know, he has Ryan Fitzpatrick, who speaks fluently in Chan Gailey's offense, had some of his best seasons alongside Chan Gailey. So let's just see how it all comes together, see how he picks up the offense, given this, you know, almost, you know, uh, it's kind of a sped up off season. He's doing things in Zoom meetings. Yes, he's learning the playbook, but until you get out there, until you meet those teammates, it's all for naught. So let's see the way he does in camp. Let's see if he can grab that starting quarterback job by the horns because let's be honest, Brian Flores is a guy who loves competition. So if Tua goes out there and he gets a has a grasp on this offense, goes out there and proves that he is the better player, maybe we see him sooner than later. But what it all comes back to is can he stay healthy when he takes those hits? How can he go through his progressions like Sutton said? And and does he he, we know his arm strength is a little bit so-so, and that's probably the biggest flaw of his game, but how does he manipulate that pocket the same way he did at Alabama? How does he throw open those receivers the same way he did at Alabama? I mean, a lot of this is going to come down to just how quickly he gets a grasp on that NFL game, and I think we all know what his ceiling can be. We all know what his floor can be. Let's just hope that if Tua Tonvalo becomes the player we expect, that good things are on the horizon for the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, and you mentioned um, on the – the pocket presence. And, and when we look about what Josh Rosen did last year, um, that's kind of the one thing that stood out to me, especially in the preseason. I, I know Ryan Fitzpatrick isn't, you know, awful at the pocket, at having, you know, decent pocket presence. And, and Tannehill was, you know, farther down on that list. But but that really stood out. And if we aren't talking statistics, and, you know, thank you guys for not falling into that trap where, you know, I want him to throw, you know, 16 touchdowns or whatever. And I, I get it isn't that, but, you know, it is those it factor things that you guys are mentioning. Where are the foot? Where is his head? Who is he looking at? These are the type of things, and obviously you'd love to see him average three touchdowns a game and things like that. But but I think you re- guys really hit the nail on the head of just being able to, you know, avoid pressure, get comfortable. This whole offense needs to really grow together, and that really starts with him depending on when he comes in. Uh, but, I again, don't want to spend too much time on Tua. We kind of know the floor is, you know, hopefully a, a four-year starter. And, you know, the ceiling is Pro Bowl Hall of Famer. I, I think there's really nowhere else to kind of look at that. I think if he's anything less than the starter for four years and, you know, say it's Jared Goff in four years, you know, do we need someone to come in and compete with him? And for asking that question, if he's, if he's still the starter in four years, you know, that's not the absolute, you know, Worst, worst type of thing to deal with. This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snackin'. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hidden. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Moving on to, uh, let me see here, Austin Jackson with the 18th pick. Uh, from CBS Sports, they said his uh, strengths were he's long-limbed, well-proportioned. But, you know, the gripe here was that the Dolphins didn't trade up for one of the stronger and more effective and, and well-polished tackles in the draft here. So, so Josh, let's bounce it back to you. How, how are you feeling about the Jackson pick? What are your expectations? What's the best worst-case scenario for this guy in the 2020 season and so on? Yeah, I think 2020 is going to be a real difficult season to kind of get a grasp on. What Austin Jackson is the biggest thing here is that he's a very raw player. I think he was 20 when he was drafted by the Dolphins at 18th overall. We know how badly the Dolphins need help on that offensive line. Austin Jackson is a physical specimen. He can do a little bit of everything. I think, though, out of this entire draft class, you know, at least those first three, four, five picks, Austin Jackson might have that lowest floor. And that, to me, means, you know, that there is a chance that if he doesn't hit those parameters that the Dolphins thought he could become this, you know, let's say elite tackle in the NFL. He's probably better positioned at left tackle. 
he may not ever develop into that type of player that they expected. But like the Dolphins, have we seen with Brian Flores and what he's done, whether it be free agency, whether it be with some of these low-risk, high-reward signings, this is a guy who has not even you know tapped into his true potential. So Austin Jackson, to me, is a guy that is a is a high-reward type player. And if the Dolphins can develop him into that talent that many people believe he can become, I think he could be one of the steals of this draft. 18th overall, like you said, it would have been nice to see the Dolphins use some of that capital to move up there and get a Jedrick Wills or one of those other guys that probably would have could have went right in there and been that elite left tackle, elite offensive lineman that Dolphins so desperately needed. But Austin Jackson definitely has the potential. You know what type of guy he is off the field. He donated bone marrow to help sister i mean the story is great let's just see how he develops year one though i don't think anybody should really have high expectations for him but again i think if he doesn't i think he might have the the biggest battle to become you know that elite talent as opposed to a noah ibanagani or one of these other guys so uh, it'll be interesting to see how he develops with the dolphins offense who an offensive line that let's be honest they have been dismal at developing players at getting talent on that offensive line. So it's going to be very interesting to see what Austin Jackson does in year one and then beyond. The interesting part of this conversation to me is just how the narrative about how quote unquote safe tackles are uh, drafting them. I should say, I can remember being a teenager and a young man thinking to myself, if you get an offensive lineman in the first round, they're just a plug and play. You just pop them in. And what you're finding now is that these guys might have the most difficult transition to the NFL of any position. How do you probably remember interviewing Richmond Webb on the show? Uh, God, I don't even know when it was, but Absolutely. Um, and, and you probably had the fear poops before that show. But, Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but we were picking his brain, you know, why is it so hard? And, you know, these, these kids are in spread systems now where a lot of quarterbacks are getting the ball out of their hands in less than a second. So how long are you setting in your in your pass block technique if you only have to sit in it for half a second before the ball's out so there's some elements to just the college game that make the transition difficult but then you have the off season which has already been reduced by the previous collective bargaining agreement and then you add in some of the hurdles that covid has presented and you're going to have an even more fragmented and disorganized way of disseminating this information and these guys that are coming in Austin Jackson is not just going to have to learn how to play tackle he's likely going to have to learn all five positions on the offensive line so for some of those guys you know that can be a challenge to have to learn every single position at a professional demand so it's we're not just talking about simple simple principles here this is uh you need to learn everything at every position and that can be really difficult so i think what house was saying earlier is like man we we can't expect anything from him this year in my opinion the best case scenario is that he starts and he doesn't suck i think the worst case scenario is that it just doesn't click with him um the ironic part about this whole conversation is that offensive linemen are typically if you know take this for what it's worth but on the wonderlick score they are the best position group so by and large, these guys are they're smart. Uh, typically, teams are drafting the more athletic guys. Austin Jackson was by uh, the RAS RAS score by Kent Platt, Math Bomb on Twitter. He was the number four offensive tackle drafted, tested elite in every skill. Um, sorry, in every drill that he did. So we're getting an athletic guy, and then we are rolling the dice like every other NFL team with these tackles coming in hoping that it clicks with them, that the game will slow down, and that they will be the cornerstone that we drafted him to be. And I think we all remember the growing pains that Laramie Tunzel had, the growing pains that Juwan James had. So for us to think that he's just going to come in and not make mistakes, that's not realistic. He's going to make lots of mistakes. I think the real barometer would be going into year two and if the game slows down for him. I think what's interesting here, um, and you know, we mentioned that, that Chan Gailey runs a, a you know quick-hitting, fast offense, and it's going to be interesting to see how quickly these guys can develop in a situation like that when you are in a scenario where maybe this is more like the college game than, than we expected. And that's where we kind of got to give Brian Flores a bit more credit where you know he got rid of this really com- complex 
uh, system that they ran last season, and he brought it back down to basics. I think when you look at someone like Austin Jackson, I think, you know, an occasional getting beat and an occasional getting beat even pretty bad is not really a fear, but something that both Juwan James and even Laramie Tunsil struggled with, again, Laramie Tunsil's a and, and we saw what the Dolphins wanted to do that in terms of moving on from Juwan James is penalties. I mean, we mentioned how smart Austin Jackson is with, with those scores that, that you just mentioned, Aaron. But what the, the concern, the, the floor, I believe, is not only if he's getting beat occasionally, but all of a sudden he's overthinking things and then penalties become an issue, right? I think that's something where the Dolphins, in terms of tackles, I, I remember writing about with Juwan James and Laramie Tunsil, those guys were brutal in terms of pre-snap penalties. And those are the type of things that, that I really hope the Dolphins start to limit are those very fixable mistakes. And, and I think that's going to be the key for Jackson here. It isn't going to be, oh no, he gave up, you know, the Fifth most sacks in terms of a left tackle his rookie season. Yes, that would be really concerning in terms of Brian Fitzpatrick's health, health to his health, and maybe a little bit of his progression. But if we see that that the mentally strong guy who who's really ne- playing smart, I think that's going to be the key in deciding where Austin Jackson's uh, tra- trajectory is going to go. I think another fear for me is if going into next uh, off season we start hearing about him getting time at guard. And I, and I pray to God that doesn't happen, but I think that's my biggest right. right. Speaking of guard, though, I, I do think it's a good thing to have Eric Flowers. You know, they paid pretty big money for him. I think right. it was three years, $33 million. He had his best season, you know, last season at guard. So he has a veteran right next to him to kind of help him get acclimated. But, uh, again, I don't think anybody should expect too much from Austin Jackson in year one. Well, and, Jakey, you had mentioned the kind of the connection between – maybe a lack of confidence and the, the, the penalties start to manifest itself a little bit. Random trivia nugget from last year, the Dolphins were top five in most penalty categories, including pre-snap penalties. So hopefully this culture of accountability, the wall or whatever it was last year, hopefully that air of accountability kind of sticks with them and will help someone like Austin Jackson really focus on um, can't lose sight of the fundamentals, even if you are struggling. So hopefully uh, he is able to learn that lesson and learn it quickly. A hundred percent. And that's like the perfect nugget. And you have to wonder if, you know, all those pre-snap penalties, you think about how much movement there was on that offensive line, how there was not even a leader, you know, to really say, all right, come on, you know, slap a rook over the, you know, tap him on the helmet or whatever, you know, this is what we have to do type of thing. And hopefully Eric Flowers really helps bring that leadership in because you can't just, you know, plug in five brand new guys. I'm glad they have a couple of veterans there. And and that's, that's why I kind of wish they kept Kilgore. It's just another older guy. I mean, I know you want to embrace the youth movement. I know, oh no, he's making $4 billion, but the Dolphins are bringing uh, $20 million or so into the cap next season. So you kind of have this back and forth with yourself. Is that, what is the value of that veteran leadership when you bring in these young guys? And we're going to have to find out. Moving on, Noah Igbenogany. If I was him, and you know, there's probably my bias is going to show here in terms of the Miami Dolphins. If I was him, and not only, you know, I think a couple of people projected him in the first round, and I'm not going to say he was a reach or anything, that's not what I'm getting into. But not only you realize, hey, you were drafted at, you got that first round pick, you got that first round money, you got that potential fish fifth year you're jacked and then you realize you're playing in a backfield with Xavier Howard and Byron Jones and you're playing in a Brian Flores defense that held the best offense in the NFL to what three points in the Super Bowl when I look at what he's capable of he should be playing with house money this entire season and that is a little you know scary though because in in two sites you know I want to see him be the guy who's going for that aggressive big play especially when he's playing at the slot corner but obviously that also has the double-edged sword of he'll get beat sometimes now if I see a couple big plays out of him and a few stops in the run game where he really showed he can play as that run stopping corner kind of like both I think Xavier Howard and Byron Jones are capable of doing that if he does that make a couple huge plays not maybe huge, but big plays, an interception or two, a little more aggressive than maybe he should be. Uh, and you can kind of chop that up to be a rookie. I think that's really what the ceiling of this guy could be is that huge big play, big play potential. But then when you look at the floor, I mean, I just kind of think of someone who, who kind of really frustrated me who could always give up the, the third and nines when the Dolphins needed to make a stop with someone like Jimmy Wilson. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I don't know that. I think it was Matthew Kanata, obviously, a uh, former Finsider Radio host, 
Uh, I think he owned Pro Football Network. He did a mailbag this morning, and he mentioned how Ibanagani probably wasn't the Dolphins' first target. It almost sounded like it was Cesar Ruiz, the, the center for Michigan. But there was a run on corners, and if there's anything that we've learned in the NFL, uh, you know, nowadays it's all about passing. It's all a passing league, and the way that Brian Flores builds these defenses, we see it similar to the way Belichick does in New England. You know, they have a ton of defensive backs, and they bring, they invested all that money in Byron Jones. They already had the money invested in Xavier Howard. Then you invest a first-round pick in Igbenogany. I mean, this is a guy that's going to come in, probably going to start in a nickel right away, and he's a physical corner that just, you know, he, he has a ton of talent. He, Quick hips, very physical at the line, good man-to-man corner. I just don't know, and I think we all kind of sat there, and we can agree that the Dolphins may not have had this huge need at cornerback. You know, maybe we thought they would have went running back or, again, offensive line, or they had other needs that they were going to address. They got Benogany, and a lot of this goes back to, I think it was Barry Jackson wrote an article where he mentioned at the Auburn Pro Day, the way Brian Flores went in there, and he kind of started to install his defense and try to pick these players' minds and try to get an understanding of what they can do at the NFL level. There's no doubt in my mind the Dolphins fell in love with Igbenogany there, and that's kind of where this stemmed from. A lot of people are very high on this guy. It's going to be interesting to see where he fits in and what this means for the Dolphins' defensive backroom long term because is Xavier Howard expendable now? You know, what's Byron Jones' contract like, and, and how far down the road do they decide maybe to part ways with that? We see it every year in the NFL. Uh, it's way too early to talk about, but the more defensive backs you have, for a, a team who hasn't truly addressed that that defensive line, you know they didn't get that speed rusher off the edge. This will help the entire defense when you got those a plethora of cornerbacks that can lock down the receivers. We mentioned it on many podcasts that'll allow those players up front to schematically get to the quarterback. And I think that's the way the Dolphins are building this thing. If you can stop the passing game and force everything in front of you, force the team to you know allow those pass rushers to get to him, it's going to be a much easier day for that defense as a whole. And that's the way Brian Flores is building his defense. And you got to be excited because this is a defi- defensive-minded head coach, like you said, that shut down the, the loss. The Rams they have not been the same sense. For being completely honest, he shut them down. I'm excited to see the way Ibanagani plays, and it's going to make everyone's life easier on that defense. Going into the draft, I think a lot of people expected a, an earlier safety. And so you're kind of revisiting that conversation. Basically, what I read into it is that, you know, they preferred getting a quality player like Igbenogany. <laughs> I like to do a little Michael Jackson after that for some reason. But it's, they... They, they feel better about him being in the nickel and McCain being at the free safety spot than they wanted McCain as a slot and whatever safety was on the board at that time. So, you know, we could make arguments for Antoine Winfield Jr. And, and it was a pretty decent safety class. And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about Brandon Jones uh, later on. But, you know, with that earlier decision, go with Igbenogany, a little bit shorter than the corner fetish that they usually have, which is around six foot, 200 pounds. But I think when people saw that the Dolphins had signed Byron Jones and they knew that we had just re-signed Xavier Howard not too long ago, it's like, well, why are we drafting another corner? Well, effectively, we could move on from Xavier Howard after this year if you know, the, the standard of play is not what we expect. So yes, it is, it it, it has both kind of a short-term and long-term effect to it, which is why I like the pick so much because it does have short-term impact. He's, we know how prevalent nickel corners are on the field in today's NFL. So it's not like he's going to be short on snaps or anything like that, but long-term it also has kind of a built-in, uh, test to see if he's able to uh, man the boundary in the event that the Dolphins want to move on from Xavier Howard and have a little bit more better resource allocation to different positions. But again, you know, if it's working, we're we're keeping Xavier. So I don't want anybody to hear this and think Sutton wants to get rid of Xavier Howard. I'm just saying it is kind of a plan B while also having some short-term benefits. Yeah, and just real quick, you mentioned uh, earlier Math Bomb, Kemp Platt, his RAS score. Again, this is another guy that's, you know, tested great, 8.05. He had a great RAS score. And this is another athlete. You know, he played wide receiver. He converted to defensive back. This is a guy that can do a little bit of everything. It'll be interesting to see the way this not only affects the Dolphins, like we both said, short-term, but how it affects them long-term and allows them some flexibility with some of those players that, you know, might not be performing later down the road. 
Yeah, and he he was on the track and field team too. So uh, just a a true athlete. I think looking at the floor, you know, the one concern that I would have is I think he's more explosive than he is agile. So when a receiver's coming out of his break, at that break is usually when that wide receiver is going to have that separation, and then he'll use his athleticism to close that window. But I, I feel like some short breaking routes might be a little bit of a challenge for him in year one. So because, as Hout said, he, he's been a corner for two years now. So once we kind of once the Dolphins sink their fangs into him in terms of the playbook and really massaging out better techniques from him, I think he'll be able to overcome some of those agility concerns if there are any. And I, I, I this music to my ears, music to my ears, hearing the fact that the Dolphins are being flexible and, and you know, a plan for now and a plan for the future. I think that's just so important and something we haven't seen. And, you know, I think too, if we use the first round pick and he's, sits at a, you know, a slot corner and you think about, you know, uh, the, the Dolphins didn't, you know, not make the playoffs because of Jimmy Wilson. He was a fifth round pick. The Dolphins didn't act to make, make the playoffs because of Bobby McCain. I think he was a fifth round pick. So I think the floor here is that slot corner uh, for, you know, four years. And you might be a little disappointed with that, but you know, that slot corner can be such a big impact player. You saw what Minka Fitzpatrick do to the Steelers last season. And as much we, you know, hate to say it, and as much as, you know, annoying it could be, that's kind of the player you hope for. Uh, maybe not necessarily, uh, you know, obviously he was a safety, but but that just the player who's going to be in the right spot at the right time, and that's really all we can hope for. Aaron, I'm going to bounce it back to you when we start talking about Raekwon Davis here because you were actually on a podcast of mine uh, about this time, maybe a month uh 11 months ago, where we were talking about uh, surprise cuts, right? Uh, someone who might get cut from the team that's going to blow our minds. And actually, no, this was two years ago. Excuse me. Um, Jordan Phillips uh, was a player who you said that the Dolphins, I think he's going to be cut. And lo and behold, week three, week four, he was gone. And when I hear everyone talking about someone like Raekwon Davis, you know, he's got the power. He's got the length. Uh, his, he had one great season, but then what happened? That, to me, sounds like Jordan Phillips, somebody who can and has all that potential, but it's that mentality you need to make it work 100% of the time. So when you see someone like Raekwon Davis, uh, excuse me, we have here, you know, the Draft Network. Uh, check them out because they're about as thorough as anyone. Their NFL comparison to him was Jared Odrick. But, I mean, this, this to me, you know, being another second-round pick, screamed Jordan Phillips. I, you know, I don't, I can't speak to any of the lack of following through and, you know, the motor concerns. I think those were evident in Phillips's tape. I think there was a lack of production on, on some level with, with Raekwon Davis. Um, I'm not sure that it's quite the same beast though. So okay. I'm dialing it back a little bit on that front. I'm actually reflecting on how happy Brian Flores was when it, you know, when the camera <laughs> cut to him after they drafted Raekwon Davis. I swear he was more happy about that than any pick that the Dolphins had made up to that point. I think he's just going to be, he's going to be a nice complimentary piece to, to the trenches. And when you look at this draft class overall, obviously Tua gets, you know, the notoriety, but this is a trench heavy draft. Right. And I think it was obvious that the Dolphins wanted to get more physical and more aggressive on both sides of the ball. And I think he has every chance of doing that. I think with skill set, I kind of see him as a yin-yang to Christian Wilkins. So I think Raekwon Davis is probably going to be a little bit thicker and more um, have a better anchor in the run game. And Christian Wilkins will be more of the – uh, obviously, we want him to do everything, but has that better pass rush here, all that going on in the background. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so the lack of production is a little bit concerning. But, again, he, he's, a, he's a defensive tackle who's taken double teams regularly. So he's going to come in and be a role player. And I think he's going to play that role well. I think he'll kind of come in uh, and run down situations for the most part and then kind of wiggle in other facets and other roles as the season goes on depending on what happens with injuries and whatnot yeah I think it'll be a good pair alongside Christian Wilkins I think like Sutton said the biggest thing was just how excited 
Brian Flores was when that pick went in. It looked like he was, you know, ecstatic. He looked like us on Christmas morning, like he just got the player that he truly coveted. So we'll we'll see how it how it fares. And it does seem like he's going to probably come in and be more of a role type player. But he has the versatility. He can do a little bit of everything. So we'll we'll see how he's utilized. And again, like Sutton said, they attack the trenches, and I think that's setting themselves up for next year to attack those skill positions. So. The Dolphins got better up front. They got a lot of meat on their bones, both offensively and defensively, and that's really what they needed to do uh, in this draft. This is not a short-term rebuild. This is a long-term thing, and if you believe that they filled the offensive line, defensive line voids in this draft, next year they should be setting themselves up to go out there and get those speedy, you know, shiny toys that a lot of people like to think. We didn't even talk about Robert Hunt, the interior offensive lineman oh, wow. that was the pick before <laughs> Raekwon Davis. So. I don't know if you guys want to give your thoughts Whoops. on him. I admittedly have not seen a lot of Louisiana Lafayette film. I know that a lot of people have compared him. You know, he's a, he's a big grizzly bear that, you know, mauls defenders, pancakes players. Could have been a first-round talent, according to some, if he went out there and was able to perform at some of these uh, events. So what are your thoughts on Robert Hunt? I know some people are comparing him to almost like a Richie Incognito, which that seems to be a little bit of maybe that ceiling that we talk about. But what are your thoughts on Robert Hunt uh, First, I'll throw it to you, son. What do you think about Robert Hunt? Do you think he's going to be a guard? I know some people think that he might be able to uh, play right tackle. What are your thoughts about Robert Hunt and the Miami Dolphins? I mean, that's that's the ultimate question for me with him is, you know, when you look on the Dolphins team website, he's listed as a tackle. So are they going to try him at right tackle and Jesse Davis inside? Or are they going to actually flop those and have Hunt play inside and Davis play outside? I can't say I really have a preference on on that on that front. I I kind of trust the coach uh, the Dolphins coaching staff to make the right decision there. What I do like about Hunt though is having basketball background and you may not think of it right away but as a former basketball player there's so much overlap between offensive line technique and playing the game of basketball for so for a big boy like that to have basketball backgrounds, um, you kind of worry about the athleticism for, for, for guys that big. But he has all the makings of a true road grader in the run game. And, you know, with Louisiana Lafayette, you kind of have to take into consideration he might be going against guys 20 pounds smaller than him. So, And I also think it's a little bit cliche to just come in and talk about uh, guards just wanting to blast through people. I mean, what that's kind of their job, right? So I don't think they're doing anything unique and wanting to push somebody into the ground. Isaac Asiata, we were drooling over how hard he could push people, and, you know, he was out of the league in two years. So, you know, I obviously think Hunt will have a better career trajectory than Isaac Asiata, but in terms of a floor it could be pretty bad too. Um, it, it could take a year to, to get up to the NFL speed of the game and be able to kind of grow into his body as well in terms of NFL conditioning and being able to hold up for 16 games during the season. So I think that's, that'll be another challenge for this young man. Uh, but I, it, it does seem from a disposition standpoint that he is a quote-unquote football player he fits the mold that the Dolphins want and that type of football character guy so I think he's going to check that box immediately when 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 I look at someone like Bob Hunt big Bob Hunt I like that I love that name um you you kind of the you kind of uh, mentioned that you didn't get to see him play too too much and you you have to wonder if a couple, maybe a few of the things he was able to get away with with the talent he's playing against will really be able to transition. However, the you know he had he fits all the you know he checks all the marks that we, you really want out of a player and you know we mentioned that maybe maybe the floor. You guys might not agree with me here, but I'm going to say his floor is maybe playing him at right tackle, and this can kind of lead to a bigger discussion because my my mindset is why have a good player at one position when you can have a great player at another? Now, you could make the argument that it's harder to find a right tackle, yada, 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 but what we saw what the Dolphins have done over the last 
you know, 10 years or so. They haven't had any good guards. You mentioned that Richie Incognito. I mean, I would love to have another player like that because the Dolphins have had times where they've had two pretty good tackles and a pretty good center, and it just didn't work. You really need to have a strong foundation throughout. I think if he has the potential to be a very, very strong guard, and I think he has, he most certainly does, um, I think you got to leave him there. I think his ceiling is stepping right into there, um, leaving no questions. Yep, this is our guy from day one, and yes, they're going to be you know some stumbling in the road that's what being a rookie is about but i mean just being able to have him walk in solidify that position and think uh, yep he has a trajectory to be our right guard for the next seven eight years sign me up that's his ceiling i think the four once we're starting to talk about is he a right guard is he a right tackle and he's moving around quite a bit yes i know brian flores and i know a lot of coaching stats like versatility but for me i prefer especially someone first couple years in the league Establish yourself at one position. I know there are different things, you know, a tackle does compared to a guard. I would love to have him, someone who's a little bit on the more raw, unexperienced side, to really just sit at that one position and really hone in on it and really become a true professional at it. Yeah, I think he's he's going to have to learn multiple positions. I think that's just going to be the nature of the beast of playing the offensive line in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree with your earlier point, though. I think with a position like the offensive line, it's about masking the biggest weakness because that's what defensive coordinators will exploit on Sundays is your biggest weakness on that front. And if you're able to get into a situation where Robert Hunt is the big Bob Hunt is the right tackle and Davis is the right guard and that minimizes the weakness of on the right side of the line, then I think you have to go with it. Now, if you're in a situation where Bob Hunt is actually a better guard, but we're going to play him at tackle because for whatever reason, that's, I, I would prefer scenario A, where we're, we just strictly approach it from a weakness minimizing standpoint because we see offensive linemen change, you know, just like Eric Flowers, you know, ended up finding a home at guard. So if we end up having to do that, it's not the worst situation to be in to um, hopefully try somebody right tackle. But if they end up finding their niche at right guard, you know, I I think that's still a pretty palatable outcome. Yeah, and I don't think we can stress enough how important the right tackle position is now that the Dolphins do have Tua Tungavailoa. I think everyone talks about it, you know, protecting his blind side, keeping him upright is the utmost important thing to me. I don't know how you guys feel, but I think I've seen enough of Jesse Davis playing tackle anywhere on this offensive line. So it's interesting that Robert Hunt is considered a tackle by the Dolphins standpoint, by the, you know, the official site. I think he will play guard. He can play tackle. It'll be interesting how quick he picks it up because like all these rookies, you know, they're up against, they have their backs against the wall as far as learning the offense, getting acclimated to the system, getting acclimated to the speed of the NFL game. It's going to be an uphill battle for all of these guys. But 2020 is almost a learning curve. You know, this is the season to get those, uh, to, to shake some of that dust off and get out there and get some of that experience under your wings because the Dolphins are setting themselves up to have success down the road. So whether he's playing guard this year, tackle, I don't know that it's, it could be either position. But long term, I think this could be the Dolphins' right tackle. But again, we got to see him uh, develop and, and go against some talent that isn't Louisiana Lafayette and some of those little guys that are probably, you know, washing cars or doing whatever they're doing right now. So. I'm excited about this pick. I almost feel like he might be further along than Austin Jackson, as crazy as that might sound as far as, you know, his abilities. But again, time will tell and we'll see the way he develops throughout camp and which position truly suits his skill set best. Yeah. And so we kind of figured this out on the fly. What we're going to do here is we're going to just stop after Brandon Jones here and, and kind of come back. Um, Aaron, if you'll join us to do uh, the fourth round through the, even some undrafted guys later on, since these conversations have been pretty fun and, you know, we're kind of cruising along here. So closing it out here, we'll go Brandon Jones uh, from Texas and, I think a good way to start this conversation is to talk about what uh, you mentioned earlier, Aaron, when you said, hey, the, you know, they felt more comfortable having Igbenogny play slot where they had Bobby McCain play safety. Now you have Eric Rowe, who just signed a new contract. Bobby McCain might be the odd man out if someone like Brandon Jones hits that ceiling and becomes, you know, 
a starter. That's kind of what you want as a, as a ceiling. You want to become a starter seems simple enough. And it, this might sound a little lazy, but looking at the pros and cons where he struggles in coverage, but he's a really physical guy. I mean, Brandon Jones, Rashad Jones. I mean, these guys based on these traits that I'm reading about seem a lot alike. Uh, am I kind of alone on that? Or is that kind of how we should feel about him, especially in his rookie season, that run stuffer who's going to have those highlight hits? Yeah, and you don't know if it's just cliche that the Dolphins just had one of the better safeties that we can remember as Dolphin fans and Rashad Jones. You know, he was a stud in the run game, a leader on that back end, but he did struggle a little bit in coverage. To me, Brandon Jones might actually be a little bit better in coverage, and I know that's crazy that might sound to sit here and think that the Dolphins may have upgraded over Rashad Jones after what he's done for this franchise. I mean, that's a little bit... Um, unfathomable to even think about. But for me, Brandon Jones is a playmaker. You see some of the returns he has. You see just the type of impact he had on that Texas defense. I think he's a strong safety. I think that's kind of where he best fits. Like Sutton mentioned earlier, Bobby Kane is clearly the free safety. Eric Rowe, he's also going to have a, his own say. And I think we saw last year that he can go out there and just shut down opposing tight ends. So it's going to be very interesting to see the way they utilize these three safeties the versatility they have and what we can expect. But I do like the Brandon Jones pick. I think out of all the safeties, and we mentioned earlier, this class was pretty good, especially in that second round where they could have went after an Ashton Davis. They could have went after an Antoine Winfield. You know, they could have even had Xavier McKinney at one point. They decided to wait. Brandon Jones was their target. Uh, now we just see the way that he fits into that defense because, again, this is a secondary that has the potential to be one of the best units in football. It's all going to, though, come down to how Bobby McCain, Brandon Jones, and Eric Rowe can handle that back end because we already know that those cornerbacks up front are pretty good. So uh, you, you got to kind of temper expectations. You can't sit here and say, you know, we're going to have the next Rashad Jones, but he does have the makings. He does have some similarities, and it would not surprise me one bit if we see, you know, maybe not the same type of player that uh, – that Rashad Jones was in the run game, but a guy that's even better in coverage. And I think that's probably the Dolphins' biggest area that they needed to improve on last year. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see the, what he what he can do. And I don't know how you feel about that, something, but uh, let's hear your thoughts on Brandon Jones. Brandon Jones, I think you guys have already alluded to, you know, fits the, the strong safety mode, has played in several different roles with that Texas defense, but seems to project most as a strong safety for the Dolphins. One of those players with when the when the plays in front of him is is very reliable. I w- would even say that I think he's a little bit better than Rashad Jones coming out of college with angles. I think Rashad was really aggressive with some of the angles that he took and yet it resulted in some splash plays and then it kind of resulted in some garbage plays at times too. So uh, hopefully Brandon Jones is able to avoid some of those pitfalls. But I think from a role standpoint, I think we're going to see him more in a run defense mechanism. And, you know, I Flores' defense, I think we have thought all along, wants to be that amoeba defense it wants to be positionless it wants to be able to adapt to every situation and so i think brandon jones is just another piece in that quest to have as much versatility as you can to put your defense in the best situation because there's just such a wide variety of situations that you run into in the nfl that it really helps to have players with niche capabilities and Brandon Jones's ability to uh, hit hard, take good angles and play well downhill, I think really suits him in in some ways for this defense because it would, uh, that's not Bobby McCain's game. So I think he's going to add another layer of versatility to this defense and just allow the Dolphins defense to be more creative. He might end up spending more time on special teams than he does defensive snaps this year but that's okay as he gets to master the defensive playbook and understands all these different roles that he might be asked to do then you know the game will slow down for him he can start playing a little bit more quickly so you know from a floor standpoint let's uh, for me I'm going to assume that he's a a plus special teamer with some some possible snaps as a role safety uh, situationally and you know as a ceiling you know god forbid there's an injury back there and we need him to be the starter and you know he's thrown to the wolves and is able to 
um, shore up our run defense because it's the Dolphins really had some struggles in 2019 with the run defense. So I think between the beefiness of the trenches and having somebody like Brandon Jones is a signal to me that the Dolphins wanted to prove, you know, at all layers of that run defense. There's no doubt about that, and I think it's safe to say with the depth and versatility the Dolphins have in the secondary, this won't be a Brian Flores defense that has to put Gronkowski in the uh, in the secondary in order to stop just about anything, and and we know that <laughs> that wouldn't even work to begin with. But but you know, as I kind of hinted to, I I think we should kind of close it up there. We've been ranting and raving for a while now. We'll have to make you guys kind of come back and see rounds four through seven. Uh, you know. If you guys could take a moment and hit us with that rate, hit us with that review, and hit that subscribe button, it helps us out oh so much, and it is so helpful in order to kind of keep a show coming each and every week for you guys, and and hopefully even more than that as we get close to football season. Uh, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us, and you know for the insight you give, you know nonstop, not only uh, what was here at Finsider Radio, but now at Pro Football Network uh, at a Sutton a. S-U-T-T-O-N-P-F-N is where you can find him on Twitter. Be sure to hit that follow button and keep that going with him. Houts is very, very simple. H-O-U-T-Z. Me, I am J Mendel 94 uh, Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. And thank you, boys, for joining me today. This this was a lot of fun, and it's a good start to getting ready for we're, we're three months. Three months from probably right around today, we'll have football. So So get ready, boys. It's coming. Thanks for having me, guys. Look forward to going through the, the second half of the draft and the undrafted guys and seeing what this roster might look like. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Sutton. We'll definitely have you back. We'll go over uh, rounds four through seven and some of those undrafted free agents next week. But, yeah, football's on the horizon. I don't think anybody can wait because, you know, for everything that's going on, we kind of need this to take our minds off of things. So I'm excited to see the way the Miami Dolphins shape up in 2020 and how these draft picks do make an impact. For Josh, Aaron, and I, and about... 7,000 kids that joined us today. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, everyone. Definitely. And fins up. Fins up. Fins up. That was Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, cause we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number We're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Everybody, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one.